The Lady Parts Doctor podcast is a health podcast focusing on issues that affect women and those assigned female at birth. However, it is for everyone. This is our safe place to talk about things that matter to you involving your spiritual, mental, and physical health. So total health, really. There is no medical advice here, just medical information. We talk and I give you the evidence with a little of my personal and professional experience sprinkled in. So sit back, relax, grab your tea, your water, your wine, whatever it is. Let's go. Welcome to the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. I'm Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor, and I'm so excited that you were joining me today. I know that you could be doing a lot of different things. You could be occupying your time in a lot of different ways, and instead you came to have a chat here with me, and I appreciate it. So last week, we had burnout coach Dr. Tanuka Miller, MD, on to talk about burnout and her experience and how she powered through it and to kind of help us frame burnout, put a name to it, uh, and start to sort things out and figure out how we can recover from burnout. So that was great. And I followed up with her, you know, I got a lot of really great feedback about that episode and we're going to have her come back to kind of circle back, discuss some of the things and give us more information on burnout recovery. So that was a great episode. I had a great time laughing, chatting it up with her. This week, we're going to do something different. I had a whole podcast that I was researching and writing and talking about for you. And then something popped in my newsfeed. And look, that happens sometimes. And I like to just talk about current information, especially when something draws such a response out of me. And this is something that I'm really, really passionate about. So today, February 22nd, 2023, ProPublica released an article titled, and I'm going to stop here for a second, actually, this is a trigger warning for anybody who has a history of sexual assault or who was triggered by sexual assault because that's what we're going to be talking about today. So before I get into the meat of the podcast and what I want to talk about, I just want to let you know. So if you need to, you can take a breath, pause, and come back to this podcast when you're ready, or you can skip it all together. It's up to you. All right. Now, back to what I was saying. ProPublica released an article titled, 94 Women Allege a Utah Doctor Sexually Assaulted Them. Here's why a judge threw out their case. That's the title of the article, and it's written by Jessica Miller of the Salt Lake Tribune. I want to talk a little bit about this case, just to give a general idea, and share my thoughts, and just give some information to you as you go about your business and your life and go to your doctor's visits for anybody who has questions about what to expect from an exam during the doctor and so on and so forth. You know, I just want to talk to you about it and give you my personal and professional experience as I always do. So in this particular case, dozens of women sued their OBGYN for sexual assault. 
And the story starts with one particular woman whose name also happens to be Stephanie. And she was 19 years old, getting ready to be married. She went to an OBGYN near Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. So she went, she wanted a pre-marriage visit. I guess a premarital visit is something that is very common because many women, uh, specifically at Brigham Young, they have not had sex before marriage. They've never had sex. So they go, they get their information, they get some birth control, they get an exam and they get prepared to get married and really embark upon this amazing relationship with their partners that also includes the physical aspect. It includes sex. So she goes to this OBGYN and to get guidance. And this was back in 2008. And she reports that this particular doctor reached under her gown to grab and squeeze her breasts, started a vaginal exam without warning, and then followed it with a painful rectum exam. Okay. I am just going to stop here for a second. Am I going to stop here? No, no, uh, I'm going to keep going. So she had this exam and she never had an exam before, just as many of us at one point went to the doctor for the first time, not ever having an exam. And she thought, oh my gosh, like this doesn't feel right. I feel disgusted by this. And she didn't know if this is exactly what she should have expected. So she did what many of us would do. She left and she kind of rationalized it. When something happens to you and it seems traumatic, you try to make sense of it. And part of making sense of it is sometimes your brain just kind of tells you and rationalizes, well, this was supposed to happen. Like this makes sense. This person is an authority. In this case, she thought, well, he's a doctor and he's a man of authority. So if this is something that he did, then this is something that needed to be done. And it took many years for her to learn that this was not the case after having exams with other OBGYNs who treated her very differently, who examined her very differently. At that point, she said, you know what? That was sexual assault. That was sexual assault. And I'm just going to pause and recap here because this is a 19-year-old woman going to the GYN for the first time, having somewhat of an expectation but not knowing exactly what's going to happen. And we get these patients all the time. I love these patients. These are my favorite patients because it's an opportunity for me as an OBGYN to take an experience that would often make them feel vulnerable and uncomfortable that maybe they've heard is not a great experience and to provide something completely different, to provide an experience where they feel comfortable discussing what is on their minds, to provide an experience where they feel comfortable discussing their bodies and where they actually are learning some things about their bodies that really improve their overall health. So to take a patient in this vulnerable state and assault them I, I don't really have a lot of words for this. I mean, I have no good words, and this is a G-rated, non-explicit podcast, so I can't say everything that I want to say. But let's talk a little bit more about the story. So she goes on to say that she was just taken aback by how uncomfortable and painful the examination was, and that after he performed the examination, he snapped off his gloves and said, your husband is a lucky man. What a complete and total violation of her trust, of her body, of her care. 
So she went on later after many years had passed and after the Me Too movement where she began to think about that experience again. She went on a podcast back in 2021, a podcast called Mormon Stories, and she told her story. Not only did she tell her story, she named him, said where he was located and the experience she had had. And then after the podcast aired, she received many, many messages from women who had heard the podcast and let them know that he had harmed them too. Podcasts change lives. We're really reaching people with the messaging, and that is the point. And I hope to do that today with you as well. So she went on to later sue him, along with 93 other women in the lawsuit who had had similar experiences. And they alleged that he inappropriately touched their breasts, their vaginas, and their rectums, causing them discomfort and pain. And he did it without warning or explanation. Some of these women said that he used his bare hands instead of using a speculum or gloves during an exam. And one woman said that he had an erection while he was touching her. A complete and total violation in every single way. So I want to now just take a moment to talk about what you should expect when going to your OBGYN and really any healthcare provider who is going to be touching you and performing any kind of examination. First and foremost, if somebody is going to do any internal internal examination for you, they need to wear gloves. And I say internal examination, if they're putting fingers in your mouth for any reason, if they're doing a vaginal exam, if they're doing a rectal exam, they need to be wearing gloves. That's first and foremost. We don't always wear gloves for breast exams, and actually I don't wear gloves for breast exams because it's sometimes difficult to actually feel any lumps that you might otherwise notice um, when you're wearing gloves. It's Gloves are like an extra layer. But for internal exams, gloves definitely. And that's for your protection and our protection. Okay? So not wearing gloves is a red flag. Second, and I cannot stress this enough, nobody can touch your body without your consent. Nobody should touch your body without your consent. Nobody has the authority to touch your body without your consent. And that applies to healthcare practitioners as well. So as an OBGYN, when I meet a patient, I'm often meeting people for the first time, doing an exam for them for the first time, I say, Once I get to that part of the exam, okay, it's time for me to perform a physical exam. In that period of time, I would say, okay, is it okay if I perform a physical exam? That's first and foremost. Is it okay for me to touch you? But that's not enough. It's not just enough to touch you. I could touch you anywhere. I could touch your nose, but your nose, touching your nose is very different than doing a rectal exam, right? So not only should I ask you if it's okay to touch you, but I should ask if it's okay to touch you during each specific part of the exam. If I'm going to do a lung exam, I might say, okay, 
I need to listen to your lungs. It's time to do a lung exam. Can I listen to your lungs? Okay, you know, yes or no. It's time for me to do a breast exam. Is it okay if I do a breast exam? Yes or no. And with your GYN or doctor that you are familiar with, you might already have an established rapport where you have given them consent and maybe they are just telling you what they're going to do. And that's okay. You know, if you're like, oh, I don't really like that they ask me for every single part, that's fine. But what we really need to do is also give you an opportunity to say, no, I do not consent to having this exam. Because even if I say, oh, is it okay if I do a breast exam, but I do that while I'm examining your breast, like, what are you going to do? In that situation, many people might not feel comfortable pushing the doctor off or pushing the provider off and saying, no, don't touch me. Don't do an exam. You're just probably going to lay there and let the doctor do your breast exam, even though you didn't fully consent. So there needs to be a conversation and an opportunity for you to say, no, I don't want that. Or yes, that's okay. Okay. That makes sense. That's going to be the same thing with your abdominal or belly exam. That's the same thing with a pelvic exam and a rectal exam. And personally, I give plenty of warning for a rectal exam because a rectal exam can make people feel probably more uncomfortable than a vaginal exam for some people. And it's not a standard part of your routine GYN experience. You know, it just, it isn't. Sometimes we do rectal exams, but many of us, we're not doing rectal exams for every single patient that we see. We're doing that for certain circumstances. So there's always, again, to recap, ask if I can do an exam of that particular area, provide an opportunity, a pause for you to say, okay, or no, thank you, and then carry on. So I'm going to add another level to this. Third, as we are doing the exam, we should be telling you what we're doing. This might not be, you know, for a lung exam, for example, you, people are pretty comfortable with the lung exams. I usually tell people, okay, you know, I might give you instructions on how to breathe, breathe regularly or take some deep breaths as I'm listening. I might say, oh, you're going to feel something cold because the bell of the speculum is often, excuse me, (laughs) speculum. Obviously I'm an OBGYN. The bell of the stethoscope (laughs) can feel a little cold. The metal can feel cold on your skin. But for something like a pelvic exam, I'm always telling people, you're going to feel me touching here. You are going to feel some pressure. Now, this is what I'm doing. Because you just want to know, if I'm not telling you what I'm doing, for many of us, our minds can kind of wander and assume the worst. So we should also be telling you in some some way, shape, or form exactly what it is that we're doing. This particular doctor had been in practice for at least 47 years, and the claims of sexual assault spanned his total practice. Now, at 75, he voluntarily put his medical license in Utah on hold, just on hold, while police investigate at least 29 reports of sexual assault made against him. Women also made claims, women who had been in the hospital on labor and delivery, who said that they were assaulted. I mean, these assaults happen in the office and labor and delivery. I imagine they 
may have also happened while these patients were in GYN surgery under anesthesia. Who knows when somebody has access to you? And fortunately, this is not a common thing, meaning of all the OBGYNs, this is just a very small percentage, but it doesn't matter. It's a fear amplified. And going to a healthcare provider and putting your trust in them is already a situation where you feel vulnerable. So here's the issue with this case, and one of the main reasons that they wrote this article is that rather than proceed with the lawsuit of all these claims of sexual assault against the doctor, they're actually prosecuting it as medical malpractice, or that's what they're calling it. The judges have called it healthcare, medical malpractice. But sexual assault, I mean, yes, it is malpractice to sexually assault your patients, but sexual assault is sexual assault. So the issue with this and the legal distinction, and this is from the ProPublica article, makes a big difference. Under Utah's rules of medical malpractice, the claims made by the victims alleging that a healthcare practitioner sexually assaults them don't receive as much money as claims that are made in a different setting. And not only that, but the time that they have to file these claims is less, meaning they have a shorter filing deadline. So what ultimately happened was a lot of these women's cases could potentially be thrown out because they don't meet the shorter filing deadline. Fortunately, the women are appealing the ruling to the Utah Supreme Court, and this decision, when made, will set a precedent for future sexual assault victims in Utah. So we've talked about the importance of consent and the fact that you ultimately are the one who is going to give consent regarding examinations and who was allowed to interact with your body. But I also want to highlight that you have the ability to request a chaperone. And this is something that I ultimately started doing in all of my patient visits when I was seeing patients clinically full time and patients would say, oh, I don't really need a chaperone. And, you know, sometimes that was fine for people that I knew very well. But the truth is, sometimes we don't feel comfortable with patients. And I have definitely had the experience where I've requested and been happy to have my chaperone because I felt I did not feel comfortable examining someone. Um, For example, if someone makes advances at you or makes inappropriate comments when you're providing the exam. Or in my situation, I saw a patient where I didn't think they felt comfortable with the exam. And so I said, you know what? We can just do this at a later time. We don't have to do this now. But they were like, oh, I just want to get it done. I want to get it out of the way. And so reluctantly, I agreed to proceed with the exam, but I had my chaperone there because not everybody is comfortable with the pelvic exam. People have had different experiences. People have different levels of comfort. And so for me, I always say if I'm doing a pelvic exam, because just as I said that you have the ability to give consent, you have the ability to withdraw consent. So in those situations, I especially like to have an advocate there, a chaperone, who can make sure that we are doing right by the patient, that we are doing exactly what the patient needs. So I headed over to Twitter as I was doing the research for the story because I'd like to see what the commentary is. And so someone said, I'm not sure if this is assault or just bad bedside manner. And 
In response to that question, you know, we talked a little bit about gloves and how your doctor should interact with you. In any situation, if you don't feel comfortable, you should be able to stop the physician or stop the healthcare provider and let them know and say, hey, I need you to do this. I need you to explain before you touch me. I need you to X, Y, Z. And they should accommodate you. You know, sometimes we just get busy. If you have a doctor who's particularly busy, they might not have the best bedside manner. They might not be as um, friendly as you would like and as vocal about these things. So you can just stop someone and ask them to accommodate you and your needs and be more vocal about the exam, but these are standard things that the doctor should do. If you feel that you have been violated, like, you know, some of the descriptions that we went through with that article sound very much like sexual assault to me. There are several places where you can report it. You can file a police report. You can report it to the medical center or office where you received care. And you can also report it to the state medical board. And that is a Google search for the state medical board, medical board of... DC, Medical Board of Virginia, Medical Board of Maryland, or California, or New York. I really recommend that you take a look at this article because it really details the case and the argument that they're making about whether or not this is healthcare or if this is sexual assault. It's really interesting. In summary, I just want to remind you again, and I know that I'm like saying this over and over again, but I cannot stress it enough. You have the power. Nobody has the right to touch your body without your consent. Just as you give consent, you can also take consent away. You have the ability to request a chaperone for your exams as long as a chaperone is available. And a chaperone also should be made available if they don't have one. And this is to protect you and also to protect your healthcare provider. And finally, you know, we went through the different ways that you can report, but I just want you to feel empowered and to kind of have an idea of what to expect. And that's it for this episode. It's a short little episode, but an important episode nonetheless. Please don't forget to subscribe to the blog, to the podcast, follow me on Instagram at LadyPartsDoc, where I do lots of videos. I actually did a little video about this because if you can tell, I'm really passionate about it. I'm on Twitter, I'm on TikTok, I'm on all the places. And if you have any interesting stories, questions, thoughts, or if you want to um, book me for speaking or presentations or workshops, because I do those, reach out to me at drhack at ladypartsdoc.com or check me out on the website, ladypartsdoctor.com. Until next time.